Kowalski. I'm the author of Living Without Fear, the co-publisher of Inspire Journeys and the book writing expert. I help you overcome your fears in life and writing your book. I offer a course called Believe You Can Write and I support you with one-on-one -on -one coaching. Get in touch with me if you need help or order my biography and self-help book Living Without Fear. And please share this podcast with a friend who you know needs to hear this episode. And why not giving this podcast a five-star review so that many more people will find this episode. And today I'm so excited to have Audrey Domain from Switzerland with me. Audrey is a high-impact performance coach with over 20 years experience in the finance industry and one of the 31 authors of the Amazon bestseller Inspired Journeys, where she beautifully tells her story about her colorful life born by her 19-year-old mom and her 59-year-old dad, and how she miraculously survived a car accident but lost her dear mother. Today, Audrey provides project and change management services as well as high-impact executive and personal coaching, all aimed to improve serenity and resilience towards sustainable, healthy change. Welcome, dear Audrey. Hi, Esther. Thanks for having me. So let's just some jump. Let's just start or jump into your life because that's what we would like to talk about today. So where has been your most important turning moment? Maybe is it difficult to tell or some of the... Where are we diving right into this, right? So um, you said colorful. I use this word a lot to describe my life because I think it has been and it still is. Um, if I'm being asked about turning points, I don't think I can focus on one. I think there's been many. For the sake of this podcast, I'd probably have three. Um, my upbringing in the first part of my life until 1998. So I was um, born in the north of France and then I lived in France for the first 20 years of my life. And then I moved to the UK. This is the first turning point. I would probably describe it as the independence for my family life. Um, we'll come back to this in my story, but this I needed to break through uh, and to leave it for myself. So I left, I left home um, when I was 21, just, just before 21, turning 21. And um, it was originally a two-week holiday. I used to go to England a lot every year. Uh, my parents had promoted me, um, you know, not me, but learning new languages and living abroad and so on um and I never went home so I went for a two-week holiday and I basically moved out of the UK 13 years later so the first turning point would be 98 um the second breaking point for me or turning point is when I moved to Switzerland in 2010 and this was more breaking through from the life I thought was mine which I had met um which I'd built sorry so that's a second turning point. And then the third is, of course, 2020, uh, when I break through from myself. So I had a first I had to let go of the, you know, the family pressure. Then I let go of the life that I built for myself, which I really realized wasn't mine at all. 
and then I actually had to let go of everything I believed was true or thought was true uh, when I when I had this um, this drama happening in my life. So, points. <laughs> and how was it? Just curious. How was it with a nineteen-year-old mother and being a mother yourself now with two girls? It's a very good question. My mom um, was young, and and she and my father, who was forty years older, uh, actually lived twenty-five years together. Uh, my father had several wives and nine children or eight I think I'm confused because he always said that he may have many more around the world that he can't either remember or that he might not have you know <laughs> recognized as his own um then again for his you know to his credit he he went to war and uh you know second world war in Vietnam and Algeria and he was he was in the army all his life until he retired and at home it was um it was complicated you know and one of the my dad's children and my sister natalie lived with us and she was she was 12 so it's like having two teens under one roof but one being the stepmom and then me in the middle it was quite um a cocktail and um it was it was difficult because i wanted to please you know what children want to do they want to please both parents but the expectations were very very different so there was no clear direction um, to the point that actually what happens is that one has to give. And my mom just gave in like to anything that my father would say or want to do because she didn't have a leg to stand on, really. You know, the, the difference in experience and and desires and aspirations were such that one of them had to give. Um, so I grew up um, with a lot of love. Um, my dad gave us everything because he had and he said it in different words but these are the words I would remember he would say that he's trying to make up for everything he didn't do during all these years living a completely mad life um and you can put behind mad anything you want to hear but you know living in different countries and fighting and and it's, it's madness so he tried to make it right with my mom and with us and that put a lot of pressure on us um so it has been challenging but it it has been incredibly what an what an experience really i mean 40 years difference is madness when you think that i'm 45 and maybe one day i'll marry someone who's five years younger than me um if, you know who's five now <laughs> it's unthinkable but it was quite an exciting life for you so it was it was constellation it was very exciting. I mean, I, I remember also the bad moments, you know, where my dad would pick me up at school and everybody was laughing at me, you know, your, oh, your great granddad is here. And you're like, yeah, right. Well, my father, he met De Gaulle, you know, and my father, he fought the war. Well, where was your dad when mine was at war? And this was my answer. And I was very little, you know, I was barely 10. Um, I don't think either or is good, but it, you have to kind of stand on your own feet. And I, and I always did. <laughs> despite you know the things that people would say great Audrey <laughs> and then you became a mother I did yeah twice twice um I got married um in 2001 to an English boy that I met when I was there 
and we had a beautiful girl uh, called Ella. She's 18 today. Um, not today, but you know, this year. And um, then we separated. This is the story about me leaving the life that I thought was mine. <laughs> um, and throughout little, you know, other stories. And, you know, I'm quite, I like to live in the moment and I, I go all the way to everything that I do. Um, and I met someone else uh, who I got married to uh, seven years ago. And we had another little girl and her name is Charlie Hope and she's four now. So it's uh, again, you know, they're 15 years apart and they, they're amazing and bright up my life. Beautiful. And what's the most important thing of being a mom? For me, um, I think, I don't know if it's the most important, but it's the hardest. It's not to project on them what you would like them to do and to respect them for who they are and what they, they think is right for them. It's very difficult. Um, and when you have been through so much like I have, and you have seen so many situations and 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 you and especially if if you're in a support function like I am today, you want to help. It's it's more it, you can't help it. It's you if you know you want to share that knowledge, and they are my first guardians of Audrey. Sometimes people don't want to be helped; they just want to be heard. Just listen. Just pause. Reflect. Be there for them. You don't have to do something. Just just be there. And, and they're a constant reminder of, of that for me. So being a parent is guiding. It's not telling. That's very important to me. And your mom, she's been a role model in which kind of relation? Um, my relationship with my mom has been very, very conflictual, very hard, because I had on one side a father who was a big career man, an army person, strong personality, super, super charismatic. Um, and I had a very somehow subdued, timid, in the shadow mother. So I spent most of my life fighting not to be like her because I, my father, you know, used to say, and this will come up later, but there's only room in this world for the best of the best. The rest is garbage, Audrey. You need to make it, make it, work hard. And then on the other hand, I had a mom who never worked, right? So I, and we suffered from the pressure that my father put on us, uh, me and my little sister. I have another little sister who's five years younger than me. Um, and my older sister who lived with us and the others would have met later, not all of them. And it was very hard for me to identify myself and to find my own feet as a as a woman first because I didn't want to be her but then I found very hard being the the woman my father wanted me to be it took me a long time to come to peace with what she was why she was how she was and and I'm I'm, I'm actually currently writing a book about my story and and writing, researching and everything, because I've lost both my parents now. So I have access to all these books and stories and letters, pictures. I have four boxes I haven't even opened yet. So I can't wait to get you know into this and really understand what is it that made her stay? Because she suffered too, despite the love. And, um, and to come to peace with, we all have our own stories. And of course, as a teenager and a young woman in my early 20s, I hated everything <laughs> and now being at peace I understand 
why she did the choices she made the choices she made and why my father so wanted us to succeed because he had himself failed in so many ways in building a family before so we kind of paid the price for that hmm. I understand very well it wasn't easy for you and now you're the role model for two girls I um... hope so I'm working hard on it I'm working hard on it you know and very often I say look and this is something that's really helped with my eldest um, we had our difficult times because Ella and I you know lived together and we moved to Switzerland together and there was just the two of us I left her dad I left her country I dragged her with me and then I met someone else and she came with me and then you know she's been my my ultimate star like I, I was fighting for her every day because I wanted to make it perfect for her that I realized that actually I didn't have to do that <laughs> I don't have to make it perfect for her so one day I sat her down and I said darling I'm learning I'm not born a mum. I, I have there's no book for it I don't know what I'm doing most of the time I have no idea what I'm doing I'll just try so please give me the credit that first I was a woman actually I was a child like you then I was a woman then I became a mum. But you and I are learning together. So don't expect me to be perfect because I'm not. And she just looked at me. She was 12. I'll never forget that moment. I remember her room, what she was wearing. And she says, oh, oh, you don't know either. I said, Ella, I have no idea. Seriously, just give me some credit. I don't know. And, and maybe I'm making mistakes. You have to forgive me for that. We're learning together. But I love you so much. So we'll get there. Oh, Audrey, such a beautiful moment. Yeah, I, it stuck with me because I, it's still now, it's something that we both remember mm. and it's making us look at each other with care rather than high expectations of what we should be doing. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite intense, really. And how has been the relationship with your mother before she, you had this car accident? much better I think being settled myself into a life that I chose that was really the one I wanted being in Switzerland and I remarried uh, to someone I I really love I mean we we have reached a such a balance now you know I'm 45 so it took me quite some years but <laughs> it's never too late and I think because I'm in a happier place it was easier for me to just to see her for what she was and, and and love her for what she was. So the last few years, um, I've been much more, I was about to say quiet. You know, it was, there was less confrontation. There was less, ang I was I was so angry with her for not moving for, in life, I mean, yeah, not physically, because she moved a lot, but, and doing something out of her life, just do something. She was young, you know, she had me young and, and she would still be very young if she was still here now. So my frustration of her doing nothing of her life kind of didn't have a, a leg to stand on anymore because she did do something. She did what she did what was right for her. Yeah. And me saying you do nothing was a judgment. And I shouldn't have never done that. It was a judgment compared to what I think she should have been doing. But she made what she knew of her life. So the last few years we were at peace. Um and uh which makes the whole situation even more tragic, really. See, it's like you you reach a balance of peace and the arrival of Charlie Hope, my little girl, really softened even more, you know, because she was a wonderful grandmother, really caring and loving with all her grandchildren. And, um, and yeah, we had reached a real nice pace together at that point. 
and then it got interrupted it got interrupted um i i had a uh, a silly <laughs> party accident before the horrible accident um i did my um cruciate ligaments so i had to have an operation and that was in january 2020 and so she said well you're not gonna be able to walk for a few weeks and you know you need help yes mom <laughs> so she came over and she had planned to come over for three weeks so a couple of days before um i went to hospital and then join and stay for three weeks so i can find my feet and with the girls because bear in mind charlie was only 18 months at the time mm. so um and ella was at school so you know the help was very uh, welcome and so i got my knee operated on and then the week after i said to her look mom i'm going to take you out for lunch come on let's have a girl's lunch together um so she would be driving of course because i couldn't drive and so we went and had this beautiful lunch in satini in one of my favorite restaurants and then on the way back from that lunch suddenly i was on the phone i got married the year before and I was on the phone with a photographer to make an album. So I was in the car and the photographer called. And then suddenly my heart started racing. I realized something was wrong, but I was so deep in my conversation. It took me a couple of seconds to realize what was going on. So I dropped my phone without even saying goodbye or anything. I just The phone drops. And I realized that my mom is, is not well. Something's going on. Um, I've never experienced this before. Now, people listening who, who have... Um, people around them with epileptic fits, they would understand, but I'd, I'd never seen it. I knew she had suffered from them, from them before. Um, I, I knew she was under treatment. I knew, anyway, there was a lot of things going on, but I'd never seen it. And, and then it all went very fast. So we were on the motorway, just outside, between Versois and uh, just after Copé. That's why Copé, and then, she had an epileptic fit. I didn't know it was that at that point. I had to describe it later to understand, which means that she couldn't listen to me. She, I could, I could tell she was trying to hear me, but she couldn't react to what I was saying. And she pressed a um, accelerator instead of the of the brakes. Um, and we were like 140 something miles, and no, sorry, kilometers an hour on the motorway. The motorway was packed. It was a Thursday late afternoon, probably at four o'clock. Really busy. And I couldn't, I, I, I tried, I screamed, I said, look, mommy, you really need to, to, to break, change. And I tried to move her leg, but it was impossible. There's nothing you can do. And that's, she was rigid. So I took the wheel and I basically, I turned the wheel to get us off the motorway. I thought I'm going to die. She's going to die probably, but at least we are saving lives. I can't, I can't witness not doing anything. So it was a split of a second. I took us off the motorway and that was it. That was like the longest, most horrible moment ever. But if it was to do again, I would do the same thing. I mean, I, so many people, you know, could have died that day. Mm. I'm so sorry, Audrey. Mm. Well, you know, I felt sorry for myself for a long time, you know, wondering first, why am I here? Nobody understood why I was there and I was pulled out of the car, which was a wreck, and helicopters arrived, and there were so many people. I was carried out. I was bleeding, and I mean, I'm not even gonna go into the detail of what 
what happened in that car but I, I didn't understand what was going on and all I wanted is my husband to be there so I didn't remember his number at that point I was completely you know confused so one of the ladies who she was very sweet everybody was very nice actually just stopped and I just gave the number of my husband at his office because all I can remember is my husband's name and where he worked. It's funny how your brain does like things at these, you know, very intense moments. Um, and then he arrived and uh, was taken to hospital. There's nothing you can. I don't think there's nothing that people feel sorry because their story is so horrible. But on the other hand, if I look at the journey for the last two years now, nearly three years on up and down. But one thing that I'm sure about is that there's not any doubt in my head that I was I was saved for a reason. There's n because nobody understood why I was there. Like, you know, the police arrived and everybody like everything was on paper saying there should be no survivors. This is no it's impossible. And I was there. So a girl on a mission, I think, is how you uh, can describe me now. <laughs> mm, yes I get goosebumps when you say that you are on a mission I am and what is your mission probably after two years three years it gets even clearer yes it gets clearer it gets clearer because it's 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 moving away from the pain and it's turning pain into resilience and and love and I think that's important because it's not a mission of I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kill it and I'm going to make it, you know, I'm here for a reason. There's none of that in me. It's, it's very, it's very at, at peace and with, and with real love. So the mission is to break down everything that's, um, that we think is right, you know, deconstruct somehow our reality and help whether it's, most of my clients today are, are, are companies, but help them really see the people for who they are. Break the codes, break the, everything we think is right to make room for humanity, to make room for meaning in what we do, because I'm a business person. I know what it's like to have a business life. I've lived 20 years in that world and it's made me who I am today, too. And I enjoy that. I enjoy the fast pace. I enjoy the stress. I enjoy the adrenaline. But there's many ways of doing that, reaching a result that's sustainable, that makes money for the company. If that's the reason, you know, that's fine. It's no problem talking about it. But there's a way to do it that considers people in the right way. And my mission is really to to bring that. Um, and that's what I do every day. It's it's absolutely fascinating. It really is. Beautiful. And what is your goal for the next five years or 10 years? What what you make me laugh it's like I'm in a job interview um I have no idea and that's probably the beauty of it all you know I mean I'm in two minds at the moment of am I going to carry on on my own only um I can't tell you how successful I've what I've built has been over the last two years I cannot believe it myself uh really really humbly I I can't believe it um is that what I'm going to carry on doing yes am I going to carry on doing it on my own Probably not, because it's a lonely journey to build your offer, sell it, you know, think about it. I think I, I'll need some kind of structure. I'm not sure what shape it will take yet. Um, I, 
but I'm, I'm giving myself the choice. I always say that to my clients. I said, you need to give yourself the choice. You know, you have to stop saying, I don't have a choice because we do. Um, so I'm leaving many doors open. I'm meeting many people at the moment uh, who are very inspiring. And God knows where I'll be in five years time. Um, but I want to carry on doing what I do because that's, that's definitely what, I'm, what I do best. <laughs> Beautiful. And what are the... Maybe others have also colorful lives as you have or had. Um, what would you tell them? Because sometimes I think it's not easy to, to get this colorful life together. Yeah, it's very true. I see this a lot around me, people who, who struggle with what's happening to them. And one of the things that I've noticed that when we do that, when we struggle or when we talk about our colorful lives, and mine still is, Uh, um in many fantastic ways I think that our body shuts down you know we kind of put our head down and our our shoulders shrug and we talk about our colorful life and the pain and and I'd like to invite them to open their shoulders and look forward and go okay all right is it really all about me is it always me well I have news for you it's not just you It's a lot of people. Some of them, some of us live through it with more confidence and more, you know, um, I was, I'm going to say courage and I don't mean to be um, talking about people who, you know, sail through life. Nobody sails through life, but it, it takes courage to embrace what's happening to you and to say thank you. And that's hard, very hard, because there's something in us, a little devil that goes, that's not fair, that's not fair. <laughs> but it's not about being fair. It doesn't mean it's nothing to do with that. So stripping ourselves from that is the one thing I would really, really, really invite people to try and do. The second thing is we're not perfect. We'd love to be. We put so much pressure on ourselves to be, but we're not. And that's okay. But it really is very fine, actually. Um, we spend too much time, and I put myself in this, yeah, always, trying to do things. So we want to do, do, do. So it's action, 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 action. And when we have colorful lives and or difficult lives or struggles, we need to fix things. Yeah, it's, it's like we need to fix it. Our brain just does that to us. Yeah, I, it, it's survival instinct just wants to fix stuff. So pause, breathe, stop doing and just be. Embrace it. Take it. You don't have to fix it. Really, really, you don't. And I think that's probably what helps with uh, everything that life you know, sends you, the, the fears and the, the issues, acting out of conviction rather than out of fear is really something that helps and it comes from being. Just be, pause and be. Beautiful, yeah. Audrey. Really? Thank you so much. It's is there something you would like to share on top what you already shared? One last word, maybe. I think, I think we need more love for each other, you know, and there's nothing soft about loving people. It's not embracing everyone and loving people who've hurt you or it's not about having Sunday barbecues with your worst nightmare person in the office. It's about just some things belong to them, you know, it doesn't belong to you. And yeah, I think, yeah, more love, more self-love first you know and then just let 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 things be and trust yourself it's all good 
Great, lovely. Thank you so much, Audrey. Thanks for having me, Esther. Thank you very much. <laughs> and thank you, dear listener, for still being here with us. And thank you so much for sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear this episode. Have an amazing day and talk to you next time.